Today we have a first for We Earn Media, and I love calling out firsts. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, we had a listener tweet about our episode with Nikesia, calling our podcast a must listen. Our guest today saw the tweet and literally volunteered to be on the show. <laughs> so first of all, special shout out to that listener, Tamika, the first lady of PR, for your kind words. So I really appreciate meeting listeners on social media and just receiving that kind of feedback and recognition. So thank you and fellow listeners, don't hesitate to tweet if you feel inspired as well. So anyway, on to our guest intro. We have with us today, L'Oreal thompson Payton. She's a Baltimore-bred, Chicago-based freelance writer, editor, and motivational speaker dedicated to centering and celebrating hashtag black girl magic and all she does. She does this through impeccable storytelling, which is not only fun and insightful, but inherently thoughtful and intersectional. Her work has been featured in Bitch, Bustle, Hello Giggles, Self, Shondaland, The Shine App, and Zora, just to name a few. She's also the mental health editor for a publication called YR Media, which is a nonprofit, and they're basically like a network of young journalists and artists. And finally, <laughs> there's a lot here, but I'm excited. Um, side note, L'Oreal spent around, was it five years doing PR in the nonprofit yes. sector? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we might get into that later. Without further ado, welcome to the show, L'Oreal. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. And joining us is also my co-hostess with the mostess, Britt Klotz. How are you doing this morning, Britt? I'm doing good. It's exciting to be talking to L'Oreal. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So before the show, we spoke and you shared a story that you wrote that you're particularly proud of. But before we get into it, I have to encourage our listeners, go to the show notes, click on it and actually read the article. Um, it's super, I thought this is perfect for the podcast because I kind of broke it down into the different elements in which, you know, a publicist could be helpful with a story like this. And basically, L'Oreal, you've got story subjects. So basically firsthand stories of the women that were impacted by this thing that you're talking about. I don't want to spoil it. Um, you also share data within the story and you share resources for women that might be dealing with the same thing. So kind of, I don't know, it's just perfect. So anyway, I'll shut up now and uh, let you talk about the story and tell us how it came to be. Yeah, no, I'm so excited um, that you all love this story as well, because it is in my entire career. So we're looking at like 13 years professionally is probably wow. in my top five stories that I love. It was also one of the most challenging as well. So this particular story that I wrote for Zora, which at the time was still um, centered around women of color as mediums platform for women of color, it's since moved to specifically black women. But at this time, uh, early last year, uh, it was a pitch that I received from a publicist who was representing Caring Across Generations, a nonprofit for caregivers. And she had reached out to me with some compelling data that talked about how Gen X and millennial sandwich givers, as they called, um, are younger and more ethnically diverse than other caregivers. So naturally, my mind went to Zora and my editor there, and I forwarded her the press release, which was, I'm sorry, the pitch uh, was short and sweet. It was maybe three full paragraphs at most, had bullet points that broke out the different uh, data points so that it was really easy to digest. It linked to the complete survey that had 
more of the um, the actual reporting than the findings that they did in the survey that they had ran. And when I pitched it to my editor at Zora, interestingly enough, she had also been thinking around that same vein of a story talking about these sandwich caregivers who are essentially people caring for both uh, their own children as well as adult relatives. So it may be elderly parents or, um, you know, a sibling or like other extended family members who require some assistance and they are kind of stuck in the middle, thus the term sandwich caregivers. And knowing that this group was more ethnically diverse, I felt it would be a good fit for Zora. And it just snowballed in the best way from there. We had the data and interview with caring across generations, but wanted to go beyond that because of course, you know, you don't want to just, all right, I would take your word for it and write this story. Um, (laughs) It was certainly, yeah, like a component of that, but we wanted to get real life stories from women who were impacted. And so we ended up featuring, uh, it was actually a coworker of mine, Indian woman in Chicago, a black woman in Georgia and a Latinx woman in New York city and had them tell their stories firsthand and also advice they would give to other women in this scenario because that's something in all of my writing I like to have some kind of takeaway you read it and the reader is left with like okay now what I want to answer that question in the story so that they're walking away with okay I may not be in this situation right now but I'll remember to come back to this article later or I know a friend or a family member or a coworker, like someone else who can relate. And I'm going to share this with them just to help ultimately people feel less alone is like the reason I do everything that I do. It's all uh, comes down to that. Yes. I love the actionable um, element to this. I noticed that as well. And it was great because I believe one of the experts was also um, a sandwich. um, Yes. Yeah. I can't remember. Was it from AARP or the other one? I can't remember. I think it was one both. Of those- um, yeah. Or different elements uh, or the, the AARP one because um, she was caring for her mom and I believe right. um, had yeah a daughter as well. So uh, is that lived experience and also you know from the personal and professional aspect. Exactly. Um, so one of the women that you featured was a coworker. How did you source the other two women? With the help of my editor, actually, because I was running into um, some trouble finding, because when you were talking about, all right, we want to profile these three different women of color and making sure that they are diverse within their geography, um, occupation, and age. And so my network is sort of limited. (laughs) Um, I'm a millennial. My friends are Some of them are parents um, to very young kids, but aren't quite at the step of caring for their parents as well. So within my own network, it was a little bit limited. And actually, I had either tweeted or put on Facebook, like, I need people for this story. And my coworker had volunteered herself is how um, that one came to be. And then my uh, coworker or my coworker, my editor, rather, had a friend who was in this similar situation, reached out to see if she would be interested. That was... um, the one who was in Georgia. And then I forget how exactly it got connected to uh, the one who was in New York. I know it was through an editor, but I think it may have been through her coworker or a friend. It was just like this network of women that came together. Like I'm working on this story. I need to find women who meet this criteria. Do you know anybody? And everyone kind of rallied together. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So with the AARP data, is that something you sought out yourself and then reached out to the expert or did that come from another pitch? 
that I sought out myself. So I had the Karen across generation survey. It's like, this is great, um, but also want to get some more supporting data or find another organization that could support what they were saying, or also maybe tell me something differently. And I think in my own research, just looking into what does it mean to be a sandwich caregiver, who are the people, and just given AARP's um, reputation uh, yes. as well in that work, I knew that they would be a reliable source and just wanted to round it out. So again, it wasn't coming across as a Karen Across Generations commercial. I wanted to find some <laughs> other reputable organizations that could uh, help tell the story as well. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. Um, yeah. yeah, it was really cool. I really like the illustrations. Is that yeah. um, illustrator, is she, was she worked for Zora? How did that come to be? Yeah, I'm not sure. I've seen her work before. So I think she might have been um, like hired out like a freelancer for them, but incredible work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, um, the way it brings it together to life because I think it's important to, yeah, we have the actual women in the stories, but for me, it was important that everyone could see themselves in this. And I think that's what the illustration helps so that it's Mm -hmm. not just like, oh, it's this one specific person, but this could be anybody. It can be your aunt, your mom, your sister. I mean, I think, um, actually, I don't know because I haven't read the story from start to finish in so long, but I know when I was doing the interviews could um, see my own mom in it and it didn't have maybe the term or the popularity that it does now, but she was a sandwich caregiver, um, caring for my grandparents and also, you know, her and my dad raising me and my sister when we were younger. And so I thought about her and what a resource this would have been, um, you know, back in the day to, you know, help other women that find themselves in that same circumstance. Yeah. I, um, I saw my mother in the story as well. I'm a Cuban American and, um, I guess no one would probably tell by looking at me, but, um, it's it's in our culture that we take care of our loved ones, and mm-hmm. um, you know it's it's kind of an emotional time. You have the COVID angle in there, and it really it hit home because like my husband's grandmother is currently. I didn't think we would go there, but I just feel like I can be vulnerable right now, right? I mean, yeah. Um, you know she's dying, and um, it's just one of the hardest things is seeing like the the way in which I guess other cultures handle it um that aren't necessarily as like family centered and caring Mm -hmm. it's just you know I don't know without being disrespectful but I I can see I mean it is a real it's a tough it's a tough situation and I think I liked that you kind of brought it back at the end to talking about boundaries and and really communicating that it's not selfish to be able to put on your oxygen mask and you know take care of yourself so I I thought that was really really well done and you're absolutely right that cultural component of it was another reason why I wanted to write this story for Zora because that is something that is different from like traditional quote-unquote American way you know is like oh put you know, Uncle Barry in a nursing home kind of thing. And we don't do that. (laughs) Um, That it's not, that is not an option, but like, right. It's kind of not. And so that adds another layer into um, this caregiving aspect. Also, you know, women of color, the paid, um, the pay equity gap. Exactly. Yeah. There's so many, so many layers. So many layers. And I, I mean, one of the things I hadn't even thought about, which was really cool. Um, well, not cool. It sounded incredibly challenging, but your coworker, the Indian woman, Indian American woman, um, talking about how, you know, 
it's not just like a cultural pressure, but it's also not having the resources that you would back home. I mean, like Mm -hmm. she literally is having to live in an American culture that's like capitalistic and she has to like freaking figure out how to juggle work and family and not having that support system. I think it's hard. So, And, and those stories are important too, because I think when you're in the middle of a situation like this, you don't necessarily, A, like you said, like you want it, like you want to communicate that other people are in the same boat and B, that like, I don't know, like you do have that option of self-care. I feel like that kind of gets lost whenever you're in the moment trying to just survive, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So great story. really liked it. Yeah. yeah. It was weird too, because it was at the beginning of COVID. So I remember actually submitting the draft and my editor being like, hey, this coronavirus thing is actually like becoming a thing (laughs) you know we had to go back and add that element into it too because um you have which is already a complicated scenario sandwich caregiver caring for your kids your parents or whatever adult relative now let's throw on a global pandemic on top of it and it was just wild yeah yeah it becomes even more challenging Mm -hmm. yeah so on to the next question. Uh, or Britt, do you have any questions about the story before we go on to the next one? No, I think we covered everything. Yeah, it's a, it's a great piece. Um, it's actually relevant anyway. So we know that you worked with a publicist that was in the nonprofit sector. Um, mm-hmm. And now is this common or and do you work with publicists that recommend other kinds of clients? And if so, who do they represent? Like what kinds of people or companies? Yeah, that same one, actually, um, Janelle, who I posted or posted, pitched it, sorry, it was like post-pitch publishing press releases, <laughs> like too many P words, right. Um, the pitch that she sent for Karen Across Generations, she also represented um, Vote Run Lead, and I might have that in the wrong order, but it was another organization um I'm not sure 5013C nonprofit, but I had uh, worked with them as well for a story for Shondaland, I think right before the election and just talking about the importance of getting diverse candidates on the ballot. And so it kind of runs the gamut. Um, There's those types of stories that have an activism lens to it. Um, A lot of the stories that I write tend to be author Q&As, interviews with Black women writers in particular. So working with book publicists and publishing companies on that. Um, Those are probably the biggest ones. The nonprofit activist and author kind of angle is sort of my lane and what um, I'm getting pitched the most, I would say. When it comes to topics around feminism and like mental health topics, especially when it relates to like BIPOC women, do you actually like where do for profit companies come in p- to play? Like, do they belong in the conversation at all? Or do you think that they just need to like, I don't know, shut up? <laughs> yeah, I that was such a great question. Um, I was thinking about this earlier. And for me, I think as a journalist, it comes down to the story. Right. So I'm just yep. curious about who has a compelling story. I'm willing to hear from anyone. Um, that has a good story to tell that is helpful for others as well. And for me personally, I'm always more interested in the person than the brand or whatever it is they're trying to sell. So if it makes sense for me and my work, then we'll make it happen. Like it'll work. I, I don't necessarily care one way or another if it's for profit, nonprofit. Um, you know, do you lead with 
values and integrity and uh, that part of it is more important to me than, you know, who you work for, your like company's um, financial stand. I mean, like to be clear though, like the ones that are super predatory and, you know, I'm not going to be out here like, oh, yeah, let me interview Amazon and whatever. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> there are things that are clearly just like, cause they go against my own um, values. And so I wouldn't do that. But um, I think that there are, incredible stories to tell across industries. And so that at the end of the day is what's more important to me than uh, for profit or nonprofit. Okay. So hear me out. Let's say it's a Amazon. Yeah. That's like so clear, like fuck them. Sorry, but not sorry. Um, Let's say it's something that is, let's say they're a startup and I don't know. Let's say they are like a freelancing marketplace. I don't know. Just something random. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say they put out like some gender pay disparity uh, data. And let's say they use publicly available sources, but they just found a way to turn the data on its head and tell a new story. Is that the kind of thing that you would source or would you rather? I mean, obviously, we would want to have the most like clean version of the data that is from a reputable source but something like that like is that something you're welcome to or not you know what I mean like the point is the data isn't um isn't their own is what you're saying Jacqueline well just like who it's coming from I guess Mm -hmm. more so like oh okay yeah and I (laughs) no no I feel like I've seen similar not necessarily in that same exact uh scenario but like um Thanks or Spanx or like these other kind of like girl boss companies will have some kind of data around something. And that can be the entry point. Like when Janelle pitched the Karen across generations one, I was like, okay, I'd never seen the data around it. I knew the stories. And so that's a piece of it. But I feel like for me, I want to hear and what we did with the Zora story, the firsthand account. So let me talk to the real people who are experiencing this and sure, and include a line or two and maybe talk to a spokesperson from that company, but they're not going to be the focus because that to me is not the story. That's a data point. That's a piece of it that can help support the thesis, if you will, of it. But I'm not going to, uh, you know, write a thousand word story about your company. <laughs> like it has to be <laughs> more to it than that. And I think sometimes that's where some tension can lie between publicists and journalists. Like we each, I said earlier, you know, we both want to tell the story, but also um, we have our own agenda when it comes to that. And, um, and I know because I did the same thing when I worked in nonprofit PR, but given my background as a journalist and like, I know what journalists are looking for in the story. And I feel like that made me a better publicist because it's like, I'm not going to BS you. Like, I know your job is hard mm-hmm. enough as it is. So how can we work mm-hmm. together in a way that's mutually beneficial and everyone gets what they need at the end? So do you welcome when a publicist leads with, here are some women, here are their stories. I think this could be really interesting for your work in outlet XYZ because of whatever, like, do you welcome receiving those kinds of pitches or they're connecting yeah. you to sources? Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I may not always use those sources, which is actually similar to the uh, Zora story. Karen across generations had 
pitched uh, or included in the pitch some women that could speak to the point, you know, that they were sharing. And um, I'm like, that's great. Also, I, having worked in PR, know that they have been vetted, they've been sourced, they have been prepped within an inch of their lives (laughs) on what to say, what not to say, how to say it, because that's what you do as a publicist. So I actually didn't use any of the sources that they had um, offered and suggested and went about finding my own. And that was something my editor and I had talked about as well. If it came down to it, like when we were getting into that kind of crunch of trying to find people that fit this particular criteria, because, okay, now we already have the black woman in the South. We have an Indian woman in the Midwest. And we were looking for the Latinx woman in New York or California, wherever it may be, just to kind of round out the story. If we hadn't found that source on our own, then I perhaps would have gone back to Karen across generations like, okay, do you have someone who fits this criteria? Um, it didn't come down to that. But yeah, they can suggest a source. And um, that doesn't always mean that I'm going to use it. Yeah, that makes sense. You got to do your due diligence and mm-hmm. kind of find your own. Um, but it is helpful. So yes. that's good to know. Yeah. Um, what other things do you appreciate from publicists? I think we talked about the data points, having a short and sweet pitch. What other elements or things do you welcome from publicists? Yeah, I mean, it sounds very um, basic and beginner level, but just showing that you've done your research, that you know, you, you know who I am, you know what I write about, you know what I cover. I remember Back in the day when I was an editor at Jet, which is known like is an iconic black publication, and I was getting pitches about white celebrities, and I'm like, you didn't even try. (laughs) You just didn't even bother. You didn't look at the website, pick up an issue or anything. And similar to my blog and my newsletter, um, I write is very much for ambitious millennial women and at that intersection of like work and wellness. And I get pitches about menswear and I'm like, come on, you just, that's just lazy PR right there. Um, So, and it's, I can tell like I sometimes, and there was a point in time when I felt really bad and I would want to respond to everyone. And even if it wasn't no, just give them some kind of explanation. And now I'm just like, when I see that, it's like, well, you didn't do, your due diligence. Why should I waste time responding Mm -hmm. to that? So that gets a a quick delete. Um, And I forget what the rest of the question was. (laughs) I went on a tangent. I don't know, but I love that. And let's just go with it. Um, Yeah. yeah, So people who, uh, I love that because now it makes me wonder like when like publicists, we're going to get positive. Don't worry, listeners, but we have to know like what other ways do publicists kind of fall short sometimes? Yeah. And if you have any stories, even better. <laughs> right. Well, and I was going to say, too, that um, as far as like the, the what not to do, um, I feel like nothing turns me off more than a pushy publicist because, again, I've been on that other side. I have so much empathy because it's hard, like on both sides, honestly, like it's just not it's it's a lot. And again, when you throw a global pandemic on top of it, it makes everyone's job and lives a lot harder. And um So totally understand the stress that everyone is under. And at the same time, when you get, um, interestingly enough, it's been like a handful of male publicists that I worked with who are the pushiest and most aggressive and the follow-ups are just incessant. And when I say, and I'm very forthcoming with the information that I have and the information I don't have, um, I need 
publicists also understand like I'm a writer in this aspect. Like, yes, I'm also an editor <laughs> in another capacity, but when you're pitching me a story and I'm working on a story, I don't have final say over when it's going to go live. I don't know. I can't tell you. Listen, we both got Google alerts on, you have it on your client. I have it on my byline. We're probably going to find out at the same time. Like I'm not withholding the information from you. If you keep following up um, in the sense of urgency, I think, especially given that we're in a pandemic, if I tell you on a Friday that I, you know, we'll find out early next week, don't follow up with me Monday morning. Like I haven't even had a chance to go through my inbox yet. And like, do my part in following up. And so uh, patience is key. I mean, in nine times out of 10, we're not dealing with life-threatening information. Like I'm not reporting on COVID or cancer or anything that can actually maybe save someone's life. So it's not yeah. that serious at the end of the day. Like it's a podcast interview, not this one, but like <laughs> this particular no, one that I'm thinking of. Um, no one's going to die if it doesn't go live on this particular date. So Thank you. And yeah, dude, like um, we, we get that a lot, but yeah, a lot of freelance writers say the same thing. Like they don't know when things are going to go live. Like you're not the decision maker in that. No. You know, I thought about the story you shared too. There was a, it was pretty heavy reporting. I assume that probably took a really long time to, you know, get your sources together and write. I think that yeah. also comes into play, right? Absolutely. The I was just going through it this morning. The pitch from Karen Across Generations was sent in January and the live date for the Zora story is in April. Like, See? Wow. <laughs> it was a while. Did it take, when did you like submit it to publish? Was it sooner than that? Like March or? I think it might've been about, it had to have been mid-March because I know at the beginning when we went back to add in uh, COVID information, it was like right at the beginning of it, which I feel like was early March. So I think shortly after that is when I submitted. And it was the quick turnaround as far as from like submission to um, publish date in Mm -hmm. this case, but there are stories that um, take a while. I had an editor just admit to me the other day that she, it didn't make it to the editorial calendar. Like she had dropped the ball and I was like, Hey, you know what? It happens. <laughs> so it's just, um, we're all doing the best we can with what we have. Uh, yes. and you know, it's about extending grace as well. I think in empathy and having that patience and understanding that, uh, there's a lot going on right now. So, you know, we're, we're trying. <laughs> that makes sense. And then in terms of the art of the follow-up, how does one follow-up with you? Is one follow-up okay? And in what circumstances is a follow-up never okay? Yeah, I always welcome follow-ups. I mean, that's what I live and die by as a freelancer as well. I mean, the the art, the, um, not the art, the um, something, there's a word I'm missing, but like, that's where the value is. I feel like that's where you get the, you secure the deal is in the follow-up because again, people's inboxes are out of control. It's very easy for things to slip through the cracks. Um, With myself, with following up, I usually try to leave at least five business days in between. And if not a little bit more again, because we're in a global pandemic, you know, I just feel like you can't iterate that enough because people are out here acting like we're not and are still trying to like work at the, um, the speed of light or like pre pandemic times. And that's just not the case. And so, um, with, uh, publicists, yeah, absolutely. Please do follow up because I am not perfect. I will definitely forget things. And I appreciate those nudges. Like 
there's, you know, the gentle nudge. And then there's the aggressive follow-up with some of these other ones. Like, do you have an update on this story? No, Bob, I don't. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) you're just gonna, and when I tell you that I don't, or I'll tell you like, I'll let you know when I know something, trust and believe that. Like I'm not withholding (laughs) information. I will let you know as soon as I have heard something, if I haven't heard anything, then you're not going to hear from me because I don't believe in like, I'll give updates, you know, as if it's been a while, um, sure. But also just understand that I don't have the agency to decide like, okay, yes, this is the the published date. And I can tell you that in advance. Um, I, I do, that does drive me a little bit crazy because I didn't do it as a publicist because I have been a journalist. But when they're like, yeah. oh, when is this going to run? I don't know. <laughs> That's just like, I don't know. I'm not the editor. I can't tell you. I can't give you a date. Um, what I've tried to do just to give them some kind of work is like, hey, this is when I'm turning in the first draft. But that doesn't mean that it's going to go live the next day. Um, but yeah, so I try to be as forthcoming with the information that I do have, but just having people understand that there's a lot that I don't know and not in control of. And so I can't, I can't tell you when something's going to run. I know you want to know, and that's why we have Google alerts or Cision or Meltwater, <laughs> whatever, you know, <laughs> software it is that you have, you'll find out when I find out probably. So we're all in the same boat. I love when that happens, when something goes live and I think whoever I worked with on that story and they're like, oh, I didn't see that <laughs> published. Thank you. <laughs> so funny. Listeners, like communicate to your clients and to your bosses, though, that you can't promise when things go live. Mm-hmm. Hold an italicized submitted draft. Does yeah. mean published? And things change because the news is, I mean, I remember very vividly when I was at Girl Scouts doing PR there and we had um, an event and the camera crew was out and I forget who died. It was a very, hold on, it might be, yes, it was Muhammad Ali. Oh, wow. The day he died. So of course, that's not making it to the six o'clock news, okay? There's more important things going on. And so that's where, when I have been a publicist, when I've been in PR telling them like, hey, this is the plan, but it could change because anything can happen. You can't bank on this. You can't guarantee anything. And I feel like any publicist who does guarantee is like lying (laughs) because I'm like, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. And if you want a guarantee, then that's when you do advertising. Like that's not earned media. There is a difference. So that's that's my rant for today. (laughs) Uh, we talked about it in last episode, but we had an ep- uh, literally we had a journalist for the New York Times, Alan Henry. He basically said New York Times does not exist for PR. It exists for the news. Yes. Um, I might be paraphrasing that, but it sounds like you're saying the exact same thing. Like, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day. And we've had um, actually a few episodes ago, we talked about this example, but um, I had an interview with a um, local reporter and a client and the local reporter I thought she had ghosted me and I was like that's weird I've never experienced that before and then she got back to me literally like I don't know like maybe 15 minutes with like to when the interview was supposed to be happening and she was like I got pulled into a breaking news assignment so we're gonna have to push back and yeah, yeah I think this year now more than ever like 
if publicists haven't known, like learned this lesson yet, then they need to like what you're pitching is not unless it's literally like you said, life or death or Mm -hmm. it's pertaining to that breaking news story is quite likely you need to just calm down and wait, you know? Yes. Yeah. So all of the publicists that you love working with, what do they tend to have in common and what can other publicists learn from them? Yeah, uh, they've done their homework and it shows like they're probably already following me on social media. They're familiar with my work and my interests as well. Um, the pitch is personalized. They spelled my name right. And it's, <laughs> which sounds so the little things minor. It, it is. It's the little things um, that really yeah. do mean a lot, especially as someone with an unusual name. Um, you know, I can tell whether you're just like, oh, try or like. It's, um, you know, they don't have the accent mark or didn't capitalize the O. Like it's, it's, the, it's the, you know, attention to the details. I Matters. appreciate. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the pitch is personalized. It's short, sweet to the point. I do like the bullet points that break out the important information, links to assets, whether that's the high res images, book cover and everything like that, because those are all things I'm going to need eventually if I decide to go forward with the story. So it's nice to know that it's already there um and it's about relationship building because there are some times when like you know what i like this i don't have the bandwidth to take this story on now but like let's keep in touch keep me posted um i have a folder where i save pitches to revisit it's literally named pitches to revisit (laughs) um for things because also stories come up um or ideas will come down later you know down the line and i'll go back to that like i and may not necessarily remember everything, but I save things that are of interest to revisit um, and that may work for a future story. So just because it's a no right now doesn't mean it's a no forever. And the ones that understand that and do keep in touch in an organic kind of way aren't like, so when are you running this story, when are you going to write the story, but are like, hey, here's an update to the story or something you might find interesting or this might be helpful for another story you're working on. Like the best publicists also um, are not selfish. Like they will share other resources or connect you to people. Uh, Cause I did that as well with stories that uh, reporters were working on when I was doing PR. I'm like, Hey, you know, my client isn't a fit for this or we're not available. Here's some other people that I know that you can talk to. That's how you become a journalist's best friend. You connect them to people you make their jobs and their lives easier. And those have been the ones that I've enjoyed working with the most. Yeah, I, I love it because we've covered a lot of this on the podcast already. And um, it's always we're we're big fans of journalists who have folders that save pitches for later. So thank you. Yes. So on to the shout out component of the show. It is extremely important to us because this is kind of like at the heart of why we even did this beyond Mm -hmm. just breaking barriers and trying to converse with um, the other side, which is, you know, the journalists. um, We also like to flip the script and show that journalists are positively impacted by publicists and that they do remember you by name. So mm-hmm. with that being said, do you have a shout out to give to a publicist that you've loved working with in the past? Yes. And I'm so excited for this part because likewise, I'm always into the positivity. Let's share good news and examples yeah. of people who are doing it right. And so my shout out goes to Sarah Charles, um, Sarah Charles PR. She 
And why I love her is she introduced me to things that I didn't even know existed, but I really, that I always needed. Like you didn't know you need, but you, you did. <laughs> and now you know what exists and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So the first time we worked together uh, was a story I did for Shondaland of BK Yoga Club and profiled the co-founders, Alicia and Paris. And it's a Brooklyn based in the before times. It was in person and they have a studio and now they've gone virtual but uh, I am a, a kind of low-key yogi. I've been doing yoga teacher training. I finished my 200-hour mm-hmm. earlier this year. I'm starting 300-hour yeah. in the summer. And Congrats. I – thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I've written about yoga. Actually, my first story for Zora was about a yoga retreat I went on that was specifically for women of color because yoga in America, at least, is so white and thin and (laughs) Lululemon and all the things that I'm not. And so seeing black women in particular, as it's a case with BK Yoga Club, um, reclaiming the space for ourselves, like black and brown women really creating space literally and figuratively for us to just be, I was like, as soon as outside opens up and everything is safe again, I want to book a flight and go straight to BK Yoga Club because I need to be there. I need to be in that, in the room where it happens, uh, if you will. And later last year, she also pitched me the um, about 4C only as a hair company, uh, hair care company specifically for people with 4C hair, which is like the curliest and kinkiest. Like it's my hair type, like my curl pattern. And it's the one I feel like that gets the least amount of love um you know everyone loves tracy ellis ross and the three c curls and everything like that but like my hair is thick (laughs) it is kinky and it requires a lot of love and attention and she pitched it to me um invited me to the launch party that they had sent an amazing welcome package that i was like i am in love and so these are two of my personal interests like yoga and natural hair she's seen what i posted about it on social media what i'm doing in those spaces and pitch stories that made sense because of my own personal interests as well. And I was just like, thank you. (laughs) You've done the research, you've done the work, you follow me, you know what I like, you know what I'm into. And you presented not only good stories, but good products and services that not only speak to me as a black woman, but can help others as well. Wow. Those are great examples. Mm -hmm. And she made your life better, like personally. Exactly. It's a win-win-win. All around. Before we go, do you have any parting thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's been said before because it really does come down to relationships, um, PR, journalism, all of these kind of people-facing, uh, client-facing, you know, everything that is involved in it is about relationships. And so it's very easy for it to feel transactional because it can be, but I think when you go above and beyond, when it's about building that authentic relationship, that's where the magic happens. Um, and it goes beyond just a like transactional, here's a story and you write about it and then you're done. Like the ones that I've kept in touch with that I'm, you know, quick to refer to when it's like, Hey, I'm working on this story. Do you have anybody who meets XYZ criteria that relationship part of it um, will take you leaps and bounds further than just, you know, sending a pitch into the abyss. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Ah, sending a pitch into the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> Our worst fears. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but now everyone will know how to avoid doing that. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram.